forgot what we're doing. Right. Okay. My name is Marco. I am the, the, the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you guys so much for, for joining us. If you're new, welcome. If you've been with us for a while, hi. Uh, we're going to find ourselves, and uh, I'm really just jumping into our time. Um, so we're going to find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. So as you load or open your Bible and you kind of head that route. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background of, of where we've been, uh, kind of what you're stepping into, and then ultimately what we're going to be talking about today. I feel like a few of us or a few of you who are seated in these chairs will, will ultimately uh, sit up straighter in a bit, I think. Um, but nevertheless, so for the past four weeks, this week being the fifth, uh, we've been in a series called Disciples Making Disciples. And our goal, our effort, behind doing this series or, or walking through this series for the past five weeks has been to talk about uh, our, our identity as disciples. We, we started, we kicked off the week with that uh, four weeks ago, uh, titled Gospel Identity. And we've been kind of pushing uh, this, this language over the past couple of weeks that uh, our identity determines our activity. And so disciples making disciples has ultimately been this giant push in light of that truth, that before Jesus tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. And over the past couple of weeks, we've walked through not just our identity, but who we are as, as worshipers, right? Particularly in the context of Sunday mornings and, and how Sunday and why Sunday is ultimately important and how that impacts us during the week. We've talked about who we are as a family, that is, as a body of believers, as a local church, who we are as a family and what that looks like for us uh, in our weekly rhythms, right? In a family, as we talked about well, now about two weeks ago, in a family, we talk about how everybody has a responsibility. Everyone has chores to do. Whether you like doing them or want to do them is something else, but everybody has chores and responsibilities in a family and effort to move as one. Last week, we looked at who we are as, as, uh, as being sent. We, the, 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 the framework for our time was when we talk about being missionaries or when we even talk about missionaries, ultimately we tend to think about uh, an individual or a group of individuals who go overseas, go to some international country, maybe even cross lines, uh, cross state lines to uh, engage and ultimately become a part of a culture. And while that's true, we took it down to this personal level and said, man, if we belong to Jesus, then we are sent. And we are sent, or you are sent exactly where you're at, whether you're a student you're a teacher, you're a spouse, you're a parent, whatever it is that you do, whatever your daily and weekly rhythms look like, you are sent purposely, not randomly, into those contexts. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's a little hostile, but ultimately what we are called to is to be the salt of the earth. And that's what we hear Jesus telling us in Matthew 5, and that was where we were at last week. And so that's kind of this broad overview of where we've been for the past four weeks. And so today we conclude our time in, in week five. And in week five today, we're going to be talking about generosity. We're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about giving, right? And so ultimately, if, if you're new and this is your first time here and you're like, great, another church, 
They're going to talk about giving and wallets and money, and I get it, bro, I don't have any, right? So we're, we're, that, that's ultimately some of the response, and I don't necessarily blame you for those responses. But here's what I would submit to you before we jump into our time, Okay. Last year, especially those of you who have been with us for a while, last year we walked through a challenging season, but it was also a very fruitful season, right? It was a fruitful season, not only in light of what God did in your lives as individuals, but also in the life of our church uh, in the context of finances. And so why that gives me such encouragement is because that I can approach this topic I can approach this topic not just with confidence, but with joy. I can approach it with confidence and joy because I've seen what God has done through his people in this area, right? And I've seen this area ultimately redeemed in our church, or at least in the stages of redemption, where many times we tend to have some idea of what generosity means and what giving means, particularly in a church or a local church setting, and you might not be the greatest fan of that. And I'm sorry, you might come from that background, right? And and I mean that. I'm really, really sorry. But I think what I've been most encouraged by is essentially the faithful giving of of y'all in light of the redemption of this entire topic as a whole. So I can approach it with confidence. I can approach it with joy. And, and one of the things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or even a couple of months ago, or essentially as we, as we became Storehouse, one of the things I've said from the pulpit is, man, we're going to tackle tough topics, right? And I can remember one of the first times saying that, hearing a bunch of amens, and everybody's like, yeah, tough topics. Okay, well, here's one of them, right? Here's one of them. And if we say we're a family, this is what I, that I say with my son, then we're going to put it on the table, We're going to put it on the table, and we're going to work through it. Cool? All right, here we go. This is what I'll do. I'm going to read Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 10, and then I'll pray, and then we'll we'll jump into our time, right? Here we go. So this is what the writer says. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we... Man, as we approach your word, my prayer, Lord, my prayer is that one, that I would be faithful and that ultimately I would be set aside and that it would be your Holy Spirit who works and speaks to us uh, this morning. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, even especially those who are new and come into this, uh, this, this, this unique topic. I pray for their hearts. I pray that you would be at work in them right now. I pray that we would all come to the table to look at what you have to say and ultimately what it is you're doing uh, in the midst of this series and us as individuals. More importantly, or more, or yeah, no, more importantly, Lord, my prayer is that you would receive glory, all the glory, in fact, in this time. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, here we go. All right. The great reformer Martin Luther said this, There are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, 
the conversion of the mind and the conversion of the wallet, right? That's what he said, okay? Now, we're going to, again, we're putting everything on, on the table in light of that, right? Generosity, giving, and tithing oftentimes has a poor reputation in churches, and that really stinks, and that's not necessarily the word I want to use, but it does. It stinks, right? And, I, and, I, and many of you come from that background. In addition to that, it's no surprise that because of the misuse or improper use of funds that only about 3% of evangelicals in the United States actually give toward their local church. Many people have been hurt. Many people don't trust the church. And so one of the things that we've strived to do as especially as we became storehouse, was that we wanted to transition and move with transparency. And so my hope is that I do that well today, but my hope is also that I teach directly from Scripture. Because ultimately what we're going to be doing today is seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit and direction from the Word of God. Because that's ultimately how we're going to be able to tackle this, right? And as I mentioned earlier, if we're going to tackle tough topics, we're going to do so with guidance from the Holy Spirit and His Word because generosity is a mark of the Christian, so we shouldn't shy away from it like we do anything else. We want to talk about marriage. We want to talk about relationships. We want to talk about perhaps some of the sin that you have been struggling with. But when we start talking about our wallets, we start to cringe. And and sometimes, I'm even going to put this because we're putting everything on the table. Sometimes we cringe, not so much because you've been hurt, but because you use that as a cop-out to say that this money is yours. Right? And so, hey, we're going to be real. That was the whole thing. Right? And so the goal is to be a generous people for several reasons. Number one, it's a part of who we are. If you've listened to anything over the past couple of weeks, I hope that one thing has stuck out. Identity determines activity. Generosity is a part of who we are. Number two, based on that, it's a reflection of what Jesus has done on the cross, that he gave everything. He gave himself with specific currency, his own blood. And finally, number three, that as a church, we would redeem this topic and that we would be okay talking about it. So with that being said, there's some good news. There's some bad news. Now, I love transitioning in this because everybody's like, what now? Oh my gosh, everybody's going to sit up straight. Hey man, we're being real. We're at the family table. Here's the good news. Everyone is tithing. Everyone is giving. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. Not everyone is giving or tithing to God. We're going to be real. The good news is everybody is tithing. Everybody is giving. Awesome. The bad news is that not everybody is giving to God. And so ultimately, as we go into Proverbs 3, we're going to be talking about two things. We're going to be talking about two realities. The spiritual reality and also the practical reality. The spiritual reality is this, that at the end of the day, it's not about money. It's about trusting God through his promises and that he will provide for you, that his word will not return void. That's the spiritual reality. The practical reality in this context is that it is about the money. It is about the money in this context because whatever it is that you're giving your first fruits to, that's what we see in, in Proverbs 9. Whatever it is that we see, or Proverbs 3, 9, whatever it is that you're giving your first fruits to, that's your tithe and that's your God. Okay? And you may have not necessarily thought of it that way, 
But my goal, me as, as your pastor, my goal here today isn't to, you know, beat you over the head. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's not any of that. My goal is to challenge you in your theology. That's my goal. It's to challenge you in your theology. So those are the two realities we're going to be looking at, a spiritual reality and the practical reality. And so thus it transitions us into Proverbs 3, where he writes, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding, on your own understanding. Acknowledge God. Be not wise in your eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here's, here's what I love about this. Even though we're going to be talking about uh, the context of giving, or even though we are talking about giving and tithing, I love this first section because it deals with you as the individual and it deals with your heart. We haven't even gotten into the giving part yet. We're just dealing with you, right? The writer is ultimately dealing with us. And so there are a few things that I want you to notice in this section. Number one, what the writer is doing, right? He's saying the same thing in different ways because, number one, as Christians, we're incredibly forgetful. That's what he does in verses five, or excuse me, in verses uh, five, six, and seven, or five through eight. I'm all over the place. In verses five through eight, what he's doing is saying the same thing differently. And he's doing that because you and I are very forgetful. And we've talked about this particularly as we've looked at 1 Corinthians 15, that you and I tend to forget who we are. We're so quick to forget who we are that we default to who we were. And so he's saying the same thing different ways because we're forgetful. Number two, he says the same thing different ways to provide emphasis. In other words, he's trying to make a point. He's like starting to push some buttons and he's trying to make a point. And he provides emphasis because left to ourselves, we will continually desire to trust in ourselves. When the writer says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, he's talking about faith. Now, you can be in the chair and hear that and say, okay, he's talking about faith. Yeah, I get it. He's talking about faith, sure. So I should just give blindly or I should just trust blindly. No, because that would be if we're being real, foolish understanding of what faith is, right? Biblically, faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not blind. I've never said that. In fact, I have said that it is blind. I have, or excuse me, that it is not blind, that it is not wishful thinking. I have, I have said those things. But faith is actually very tangible. Now, you can go back to our series in Ephesians. You could even go back all the way to James to unpack what that means. But very quickly, I'll cover it. What faith is, or what faith is composed of, is three things. Number one, faith is composed of truth, right? And so our truth is the word of God. That is truth. The second component of faith is agreement with that truth. The third component, the final component of faith, because still technically we're not in faith yet, right? We haven't, we haven't gotten there. So it's truth, it's agreement with the truth. And then finally, it's your activity. You actively Involving yourself, actually doing it, actually carrying out with what the truth says. See, because many people, many Christians will say, yes, this is truth. I do agree with it, but then their lives don't reflect it. So there's an inconsistency there, isn't it? It's an inconsistency with what you say you believe in. Well, if we're putting everything on the table, and if we're talking about our identity, when we're talking about faith, we are being consistent with what we say we believe in. So there's truth, there's agreement, and then finally, there's activity. 
This section is a reminder that our identity determines our activity, as I was just saying. Trusting in God is inherently connected to not trusting in our own understanding because you and I lack wisdom. You and I lack wisdom. And I love, because he says it, right? He says, be not wise in your own eyes. He's saying it differently. So with that being said, you and I cannot say that we have faith in God when it comes to our soul. We can't say that we have faith in God or trust in God when it comes to our soul, but lack trust when it comes to our finances. So again, we find ourselves in an inconsistency. And because it's an inconsistency, it brings forth a question, not about your wallet, but about your heart. It brings about a question of your heart, right? And that tends to be a mantra for many Christians. That tends to be a mantra for many people in the church. Man, I trust in God with my soul. I just don't know if I trust him with my finances, right? That is an inconsistency, and it brings forth a question. It's an inconsistency with your theology, and it brings forth a question, not about your wallet, but about your heart, about the condition of your heart, about the disposition of your heart. That's what it brings forth, right? And so again, the whole point of this is to challenge you in your theology. Moving, moving on, the writer then says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord is a theme that runs uh, throughout Psalms and Proverbs, and it's where we get our name from, right? Storehouse. Uh, we see this in Isaiah 33, where he's talking about there will be a storehouse of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. He's talking about in the storehouse, there will be the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is composed of many things, especially when you read through Psalms and Proverbs. It's composed of a relationship with God. It's composed of an understanding of God and ultimately a worship of him. Consequently, our activity is changed because of our identity in him. And when he goes on to say that it will bring healing and refreshment to your bone, we're still talking about the faith, or excuse me, the fear of the Lord. When he goes on to say, fear the Lord, right? Turn away from evil. It will bring healing and it will bring refreshment to your bones. What he is saying in the most poetic way is that, man, the fear of the Lord, a relationship with God is like marrow to your bones. That's what he's saying. It's like marrow to your bones. And if you wish to experience healing and refreshment, the writer says that we must turn away from our own understanding. Right? That we must turn away from our own understanding. A lot of people, including myself, don't like that. Right? Because you want to trust what you think. And no one else lies to you more than yourself. Right? No one else does that. No one else tells you that you're, uh, you know, so awesome more than you tell yourself that, right? And so this is a challenge to our way of thinking. It's a challenge to our way of thinking in light. He's saying, man, admit you don't know, so trust in God. Admit you don't have all the answers, so trust in God. Admit you don't have it all figured out, but no, admit you don't have it all figured out because how's it going for you? How's all of whatever it is that you do going for you? Fear the Lord and turn away from your own understanding. And in doing so, it will bring refreshment and healing to your bones. That's the encouragement that he gives in the first section of Proverbs 3. And then he gives a practical example. I love Psalms. I love Proverbs. I love Ecclesiastes. The reason I love it so much is because uh, it's, it's called uh, the wisdom section of Scripture, right? And it's uh, super practical. 
right? Do this, don't do that. If you're doing this, it's because you're this, whatever, right? Like it is super practical, and I love that. And he's, he's not deterring from that. He's saying, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Don't trust in your own understanding. What it's going to do is bring healing and refreshment to your bone because your trust is now found in him. Now let me give you an example. And we go into verse 9. And so he writes, honor the Lord with your wealth. Man, you got to admit, if you're listening to that last part in, uh, in Proverbs where he says, man, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Uh, you know, it's going to bring healing and refreshment to your bone, bones. Uh, that's not necessarily something you want to hear in the next verse, right? Like honor the Lord with your wealth. Wait, what about, man, I thought you were going to bring healing. I thought there was going to be refreshment. I thought there was going to be something other than money. And that's actually why we need to talk, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We're going to talk a lot about what he is saying here. Number one, he's saying that the first thing that we are to do with our wealth is that we are to give immediately a portion of it to God. That's the bottom line. That we are to give a portion of it to God. Not that we give him a portion after we've spent stuff on our hobbies. Not after we've even done our monthly expenses. But the first thing that we do is that we give God our first fruits. And he tells you why. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean he doesn't tell you why. Right? The writer says that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here's, here's what he is talking about. Right? The language that he is using in this context is referring to God's blessing, God's provision, and joy. He's not saying that upon doing this, man, you're going to get double back. or He's not necessarily saying that you're going to be repaid materialistically or even financially. But what he is saying is that God's blessing will be upon you, that you will be provided for, and that you will be filled with joy. Man, what is being provided for means? I don't know. Maybe it just means that you had enough money to pay all your bills this month. That would be being provided for technically by definition, right? In addition to that, sometimes it also means, man, that... Not only are your needs covered, but some of your wants are also covered. It's kind of cool, right? But with that being said, that's the language that he's using. It's, 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 it's connected to God's blessing, his provision, and ultimately joy. Because, because here's the challenge when it comes into this, this part before we move on. The, the challenge here is that this is a reminder that our treasure is not in this life. Our treasure is in heaven. Jamie Munson calls it, heaven practice starts now. That's what he's saying, right? And it does bring us into two forms of theology, if that's what you want to call it, but it does bring us into two forms of theology that are ultimately false teachings. Because especially when some will read that last section, it says, man, if you give, that means you're going to be filled with plenty and your vats are going to be bursting with wine. So it brings forth a couple of pieces of theology. One tends to be a false teaching that is sadly common, right? It's called prosperity theology. Some of you may have even heard it. Maybe some of you even come from those backgrounds. Prosperity theology ultimately teaches that when you give, God is going to hook you up with even more. Materialistically, 
financially. And they come up with really cool, nifty slogans, right? What's one of them? Like name it and claim it, right? That you name whatever it is you want, you're ultimately claiming it, and as you give to God, he is supposed to give back to you, right? So that's prosperity theology. In other words, the more you give, the more you'll be blessed. Or if you give a lot, you'll be blessed. But then there's another one. There's another one called poverty theology. You don't necessarily hear about it too much, but it's out there. Poverty theology suggests being rich is bad. Wealth wealth is horrible. It's not good. We see strong language in Scripture specifically toward the rich, which is true, but their theology comes from being rich is bad, being poor is good. And then they boast in their lowliness. Not loneliness, but lowliness. Okay? Now, we can go back to James chapter 2 and James chapter 5, and you can do that on your own time, but we can see that we walked through several categories of individuals that we see in Scripture, that we saw godly poor people, ungodly poor people, godly rich, and ungodly rich, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, especially when it comes to poverty theology, right, I will agree that particularly in James, but in other sections of Scripture, the Bible uses harsh language specifically toward the rich. But they're using, it's using harsh language toward the rich because they've made money their God. And so if you find yourself in that position, you're like, so is being rich bad? Is being wealthy bad? I've kind of worked for all this. Here would be what I would submit to you. The question isn't, are you rich or not? The question is, are you godly? Are you godly? That's the question. It's not bad to be rich. It's not bad to have some some green, okay? The question is, are you godly? And as we look throughout Scripture, you don't have to be rich, right? There are individuals who weren't and were incredibly ungodly, right? So, again, let's be consistent. Charles Spurgeon writes... With some Christians, the last part of their nature that ever gets sanctified is their pockets. Man, when it comes to giving, particularly in the church, it's going to be some, there's going to be some time. There's some discipleship that comes with that. And here we're doing some discipleship. And so in light of 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, here are seven things that helps us with, encompasses, or exposes in light of our giving, or in light of giving, period. Right here, seven things. The first one is that we honor God. When you give, you honor God. What you're doing upon honoring God is that not only are you bringing Him glory, but it demonstrates your value of Jesus. Not monetarily, but it demonstrates your value and your trust and your need for Him. Because he is asking you to be sacrificial. He is saying, I can do more with your sacrificial giving than you can with the full amount. And so you're dem- it's a tangible demonstration. Number two, biblically, the benefits of giving outweigh the sacrifices of giving. Right? Jesus said that it is better to give than to receive. And I know that even in saying some of these things, you may have even heard them. And it might send you into this place. You're like, yeah, I've heard that. But good thing we're looking at Scripture, not me. Number three, it implements discipline, right? 
It implements discipline. When you give sacrificially, and here's the thing, you're going to hear me say that a lot. In this next section, I'll get a little bit more practical about what that means. But until then, when you give sacrificially, you're not living off of the full amount anymore. So what it's going to do, it should instill some discipline, like budgeting. Right? Everybody gets a little, no, I don't want to talk about the B word. Right? Budgeting. That's the B word, right? Now, a lot of people don't like talking about budgeting. Some people are like, I hate spreadsheets. And you wonder why you're in debt, right? Like, come on, let's be real. It should implement some discipline because now you have to budget. Now you have to take in your monthly expenses into account. And maybe you can't be going out to eat four times a week. Maybe you should be going out to eat twice a month. I I don't know. I don't know what that is, but you're ultimately going to be budgeting. In addition to that, when you begin to budget and when you begin to grow in this discipline, especially if you're a parent or if you're discipling others, you get to teach them the value of not just giving, but of budgeting. This is something that we teach our son. Right? I've shown him, this is the nerd, me, like I've shown him our spreadsheet. This is how much I've budgeted for this. This is how much I've budgeted for that. And I'll show him what that looks like. And yeah, he doesn't have a job right now, but sometimes grandma and grandpa hook him up with some some kids Nash. And so I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's practice what we've been talking about. Right? Additionally, when it comes to giving and when it comes to budgeting, a lot of you who are young in your faith maybe never necessarily knew how to give or how to budget. How cool it is to actually learn that in the church. Right? I've given the example of, of our son several times when it comes to him being on the production team. And that one day, hopefully, if he, if he ever wants to do anything media-related, and the question comes, man, where did you learn this? He's going to say, man, I learned this in the church. Because the church is the hub where everything should be happening and then sending them out. And I'm going to think it's going to be pretty cool to where they ask, man, where did you learn this? I learned how to budget in the church. Because I learned how to budget in the church. Right? I, I didn't come from a church background. And... Uh, uh, my dad or my, bro- my, my eldest brother, his, his budgeting was save. Well, I want to buy, don't spend, save, 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 save. It's just saving. That was it. That, that, that was his method. I'm not saying that's a bad method, but uh, I mean, I never got what I wanted. So um, it, was always, it was always save and save and save. But when it came to budgeting, when it came to like moving numbers around and reallocating funds, I learned that in the church. Uh, before even coming on staff many years ago, um, I was a department head for the city of McAllen. Part of my job required that I oversee a municipal budget. And with that municipal budget was a lot of money and a lot of moving pieces. And I had staff and I had facilities and all of this different things. I learned how to govern and manage that from the church. Right? That's pretty baller, for lack of a better word. Right? But nevertheless, it should implement discipline. It should implement discipline in how you budget your income and your monthly expenses. It should implement discipline in how you teach your children or how you're teaching another Christian. Right? It implements discipline. Here's the next thing. Number four. It teaches us about the character of God. Remember, identity determines activity. It teaches us about the character of God. And that is that God is a generous God. In fact, he's so generous that he didn't hold Jesus back when Jesus came to dwell among us and die on a cross for sinners. He didn't hold him back. He is a generous God who gives abundantly and bountifully. In fact, everything that you have is a gift. 
Everything that you have is a gift. So it is a part of who he is. And if what we do is directly tied to who we are, then giving is a demonstration of the character of God. Giving is a demonstration of who Jesus says we are. Giving is a tangible expression of what Jesus has done. Right? What was that, number four? This is number five. Stewardship versus uh, ownership. Everything that we have, we've been, we've been given. And because we've been given whatever it is that we, had, we, that we have, we are called to be stewards. And we're called to take care of it, oversee it, manage it, multiply it. That's what we saw in the garden, right? So God creates man, grabs Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden. And he, gives, he tells them, right? He goes, you got a job. Cultivate the land, be fruitful and multiply. That is your job, right? He says, I have created all this. Go, go work it. Right? They were stewards. They were given something and called to take care of it, cultivate, multiply, all of these really, really cool things. Right? At some point later on, they decided to become owners and say, this is actually mine. And it started with the question. And the question was, did God really say? So it was a challenge to their theology, and they failed. Right? It was a challenge to their theology, and they failed. They became owners. Some of you are all about owning it. Man, my hobbies, my vacation, my credit cards, my TV, uh, whatever it is you do, right? You take ownership of that because, man, I've earned this. I've worked for this. This is mine. Nobody else gets to tell me what to do with it, particularly in a culture that says it's all about you. So you've gone from being a steward to an owner, right? And that makes us no different than Adam and Eve in the garden. And so when we say, man, we would have done it differently, no, you would have done worse. Okay? Number six, it fuels the mission and the life of the church. Very simply, mission doesn't happen without money. Mission doesn't happen without money. But nevertheless, when it comes to fueling mission and the life of the church, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in a bit, this means several things. It means it allows us to accomplish the mission that we believe God has called us to. It allows us to begin staffing people. Man, it even allows us through the faithful giving. Here, here's what it is when it comes to our church. It's not like this one giant donor, okay? It's everybody giving a little bit. That's legit. And as everybody's given a little bit, it's allowed us to take care of others in the church. And you get it, man. Sometimes man, you run into a wall and you're like, man, I really need help on this monthly payment. Or, man, marriage is, is going on. There's some counseling that needs to be taken care of. We've taken care of individuals in the church because of your faithful giving. Thank you. Thank you. All right? And number seven, finally, worship. And here's the thing. It's not just seven things. We can list, keep on going on and on and on. I just chose seven because it sounds like a holy number. Um, so worship, Right? That when we give, ultimately we were saying that it demonstrates our value for Jesus, but also when we give, it shows that we're relinquishing the control that we think we have. It puts us back in a place of being a steward. It tells others that, man, I worship God and I'm giving him my stuff because I'm not defined by my stuff. I am defined by the person and work of Jesus. It's worship. In a couple of moments when we go through giving or tithes and offerings, it is an opportunity not just to give, but it is an opportunity to also worship. So don't forget that. It is an act of worship. And we talked about that when we're looking at being worshipers. And so with that, 
as I was thinking about this, I was telling one of the guys earlier, I was like, man, I got a lot of sections, right? So we've talked, we've dealt with our hearts. We've dealt with who God says we are, and we've dealt with placing our trust in him because logically we're not wise, right? And we want to put our trust in ourselves. So he says, fear the Lord, turn away from evil, turn away from your own understanding. It will bring healing and refreshment to your bones. Here's the practical example. Start by giving, right? And so we just finished walking through that. And so I then thought through a few questions that I've received in the past, uh, or even some of the questions that you might even have. And I thought I'd go through them just to, you know, finish it, right? I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what I was thinking. All right, here we go. Here's the first one. And uh, I'll try not to spend a lot of time on these. But nevertheless, you can, you can hunt me down afterwards. Here we go. First one is, okay, I hear you, pastor. I hear, man, you're saying trust in God. I hear that you say giving. That's all. But ultimately, how much? I see people's heads nodding, right? How much? That's, that's what you want to know. Man, how much do I tithe? Let me tell you. Here we go. You ready? All right. <laughs> At Storehouse Community Church, our language is twofold. Number one, as a Christian and as a member of the local church, if you call storehouse home, you are called to give. You want to know from where? Go to Matthew 6, 2. Jesus says, not if you give, but he says when you give. So you are called from Jesus to give. So that's where I would take you. And number two, your giving is to be sacrificial. And I'm going to jump into all that right now. Your giving is to be sacrificial. Now, I want you to put that word at the forefront of your mind because we're going to talk about sacrificial right now. Now, where I get sacrificial from is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here's why we say sacrificial, right? And there's actually more to this than than just this part. But here's why we say sacrificial. Number one, Christ's sacrifice now becomes the standard for our giving. Practically, that means when we say sacrificial, and you're wondering what the number is, I don't necessarily have a number for you, but I know that it needs to hurt. Everything ties back to what Jesus has done. His self-sacrifice is now the standard for our giving. His self-sacrifice is now the standard for our giving. And so if you want a practical definition of what that means, it means it needs to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt, right? <clears throat> In addition to that, look at 2 Corinthians. We're not done with that sacrificial part. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. Paul writes, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Here, here it is. Here's where he starts checking you. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's, he steps it up. He steps it up when it comes to the heart. Because some of you will hear sacrificial, and that means to you, well, since there's not really a number, I get to tip God. Right? Because I didn't give you a percentage, it means that you got to tip God. But yet what he is saying here is that our standard now is Christ's sacrifice, and that we are to give not reluctantly, but cheerfully. That's now the standard. And so if your giving is just a tip, then yeah, I would say you're in sin. 
I would say in accordance to 2 Corinthians, you're in sin. Sacrifice hurts, but it hurts because we look to the example of Jesus, right? And I'll touch back on that a little bit more. In addition to that, the Old Testament on various occasions, because I know many will be thinking like, well, what about the 10%? I've always heard 10% or I've heard some percentage. In the Old Testament on various occasions, you can look at Leviticus, you can look at Deuteronomy, you can look at several places. Uh, The Old Testament on various occasions gives examples of God's people giving 10% of their first fruits. Right? They give 10% of their produce. They give one, uh, excuse me, every, every tenth animal. They would hook them up, right? But in addition to that, particularly when we're looking at the Mosaic Covenant, there were several other tithes and offerings that came along with that. Now, if we were to total all of those sacrifices and all of those tithes and offerings, what we're looking at is you're looking at something over 20% a year. Okay? Jesus came to fulfill the law. We don't do sacrifices anymore because Jesus sacrificed himself and is the final sacrifice, right? So here's what I would say to, if you're big on the 10% thing. Actually, here's what I would say to both. When it comes to sacrificial giving, as I mentioned, it's got to hurt. You got to feel it, right? You got to feel it. And some of you use it as an excuse to tip God. If that's you, and you're like, man, but I need a number, then yeah, shoot for the 10%. Fine, shoot for 10%. Do it. But the question still stands. Is it sacrificial? Did you feel it? Some of you won't feel it, right? On the other end, some of you might be like, it has to be 10%. Well, then let's look at Luke 11.42. Jesus writes, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's like, you're so caught up on the numbers. You're so caught up on your tithe that you forget to do all of these other things. So in conclusion, there are Pharisees on both sides of that. Okay? There are Pharisees on both sides. Man, if 10% affects you and it hurts and it's sacrificial, I love you. Right? Then do it. Some of you might mean that sacrificial, if you want a number, maybe it's 13%. I, I don't know. I don't know. But what we see here, what we see here is that Paul is challenging the heart of of the Christian, not your excuse and not with what you can get by on. He is challenging your heart of generosity should you have one, right? Hope that answers those questions. John Calvin also wrote, liberality is estimated by God, not so much from the sum, but as from the disposition. All right, here's the next one, a couple of ones. And uh, I'll go quickly on these because I know I spent a lot of time on that one. What if I don't have a job? Right? Okay. Here's how I answer that part, right? What does I don't have a job mean? Because, and I say that, you might think like it means I don't have a job. No, here's what I mean by that. It means you might be a student, right? And uh, mom and dad hook you up with some, uh, some funds, right? It might mean you get an allowance, right? Maybe your ki- give your kids an allowance, or whatever that is. If you're receiving money, we're going to call that income. And you should give off of that. Sometimes some college students are like, oh, man, I don't really have a job. Mom and dad hook you up, right? So tithe off of that. That's what I would say. So begin there, right? Uh, However, if you are diligent in looking for work, man, part of you giving is also your time and your talent. Now, that doesn't mean that you are never to give. 
That means, man, you get that job, you jump back on the bandwagon like everyone else. But until then, we cover you, right? Debt and vacations. Uh, not giving because you're in debt, but still going on vacations is uh, it's kind of an inconsistency, right? <laughs> I'm in debt, but I went to, I don't know, Idaho, wherever, wherever it is you go, right? There's, there's an inconsistency with that. Now, ultimately, when we're talking about debt and vacations and stuff like that, uh, that means there, there's a disconnect somewhere. There is a disconnect in the trust of God, Right? There is a disconnect. Man, I can't trust him because I'm, I'm in debt. So here's what we would do. Let's, let's look at uh, Malachi 3, 8 through 10. And so God's saying, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions. Contributions is another word for offering. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I'll pause right there. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, you are robbing me when you don't tithe. And, uh, man, here's, here's, here's where I'm just being up front. I, I got a question mark. I don't know. Some of you might find yourself in, like, legit debt. I'm not talking like, oh, man, we just got a vehicle. We're making payments on that. I'm talking like you made bad decisions, debt kind of a thing. You're trying to get out of that, Right? At least according to Malachi 3, if that's you and you have not been giving, right? At least according to Malachi 3, it might mean that, man, there's a curse upon you. I don't know, right? But nevertheless, nevertheless, or at least on your money, nevertheless, you're called to give. That's where the budgeting part comes in. That's where being open with your finances and saying, man, I really stink at budgeting and I just seem to have enough for like the last week of the month. Maybe it means you got to be a little bit more open so that we can work through some budgeting. Then let's do that, right? But here's the next thing. This is what he says. And thereby, and this is God saying, he goes, and thereby put me to the test. This is the only time in scripture where we see God say, test me. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's saying, test me with your money so that I can provide for you. Again, that provision part may just mean that you had enough to knock out the month. It may mean that you got to think about some pretty hard decisions. Again, maybe you shouldn't go out to eat four times a week. Maybe you should go out to eat once a week. Some of those are some kind of like practical things that you'll do. But nevertheless, you can't look back and say, well, God didn't take care of me. No, he did. He did. All right. But again, it goes back to trusting in him and not your own understanding. So stop trying to wrap yours. All right. Uh, what else do I got? Oh, here are the last ones. The last two. Mm-mm. So we've been talking about like big things in terms of practicality. We've been talking about you as individuals. And then some people will still have the question. And I'm, I don't mean that. Um, I'm going to try and be facetious in that regard. But I just some people will still have questions. So then with all this being said, I get it. You're talking about tithing. You're talking about being sacrificial. Get it. So then where does the money go in the church? Right? Where does the money go in the church? Here's the breakdown. Is it there? It is there. Okay. 
First one is uh, ministries. Ministries include community groups. It includes equipping, worship. It includes Sunday mornings. It also includes like special services like we're doing Lent. So 10% of our budget goes immediately into ministries, fueling them. That's classes. That's coaching. That's equipping leaders. That's having classes. I already said that. Having classes, right? That's community groups as we begin to develop more and more people. So ministries. 10% immediately goes into that. The next one is giving. Right? When we're talking about giving, we're looking at benevolence. Uh, that means when we uh, give to help someone out who, who, who needs, a, needs a boost. Uh, missions and missionaries, church planting, right? That's 9%. What I love so much about that one is last year when we were reworking our budget to, so that we would hopefully finish the year off well, that was actually about 2%. And so now we've gone up to 9%. That's legit, and I want that to keep growing, Right? Uh, the next one is facility. This is rent, uh, monthly expenses, but this also includes some of the computer equipment that we have, whether it's for kids or our office. About 22% of that goes in there. All right. Uh, the last two, administrative. When we're talking about administrative, we've got a lot of monthly fees, right? Some of the guys that use uh, the production stuff, there are subscriptions to that. We also have accounting software that requires fees. When you give online, there are fees that we need to pay in order to work through that system. Uh, what else? The website, all those different things, 10% goes into administrative fees. And then finally, staff, 49%. There's three people on staff, right? Uh, yeah, there's three people on staff, not yet. Um, I'm the only full-timer, and then we have two part-timers. We have Julie DeGoyalva. She's our finance operator, and she does an amazing job, right? And the other one you're going to meet in just a bit, though you probably already know him. But nevertheless, that's the breakdown. Now, if you're a member, you're like, man, I want to know all this. I want to know how much we spend on paper. Okay, if you're a member, I'll tell you, but you got to be a member, (laughs) all right? (laughs) And here's, here's here's the kick, right? Not a regular attender. If you're a member, man, I'll hook you up with all that. Take it. See how much I make here. Uh, what's next? Leadership and giving, right? So with all that being said, I wanted to talk about our, our staff, right? And not just the, the, the three that are on staff, but I'm also talking about, as I've mentioned before, our volunteer staff, right? If you don't know who they are, it consists of uh, Everett Castellano. He's up in production, hidden in the corner, right? He runs our production, right? Yeah. <laughs> the next one is Izzy, who leads the band. You guys have seen Izzy, right? He leads the band. Oh, man, these other guys don't want their names called, right? So Sean Penny, who's up here in the front. Sean, here, everybody's like, what does Sean do, right? <laughs> what, what does Sean do? Sean does what we call biblical living. So Sean is running with member care. He is also, in, uh, he has run with youth, and he's going to be doing some classes now. So biblical living is where Sean, Sean resides. The next one is James. Uh, he's like, oh, there he is. <laughs> James Belfell, right? So James, so James is like, He's like a, a, what is it? A jack of all trades and a master of all. So, um, and so James helps with our Sunday morning teams. In addition to that, he's actually one of our board members along with Gary DeLaCrosse who oversees our budget. Like they have to approve it, right? They got to they gotta wrestle with it and ask questions, right? Who else am I missing? Is that it? JC. JC does kids, right? He leads our kids ministry, pours into the volunteers, all that stuff. He's a... Uh, He's, he's on break right now through the rest of the month. He's been on break since December because him and his lovely wife just had twins, right? So uh, nevertheless, all of those dudes, uh, they're all volunteer. And they all put in about 10 to 15 hours. Now, I, I say this because of, because of this. <clears throat> part of my job, and those are the guys I see the most, part of my job is to hold our staff accountable for giving, right? Now, when I say that, I have no idea how much those guys give. 
I have no idea. I just know that they do give, right? Julie will follow up with me on that. That's about it. But I don't know how much they give. But the reason I do that is for two reasons. Or, yeah, why I do that is for two reasons. Number one, it's to ensure that they're giving to God and trusting in His provision. So sometimes it becomes a discipling moment. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't always know what they're giving, because sometimes on one-on-one conversations, they'll come to me with specific questions. But number two, as an example to the church. As an example to the church, these men and women, they, they not only lead by serving, but they lead by giving. And part of their giving helps fuel those who are on staff. Just like your giving, your faithful giving, fuels those who are on staff. I'll give you two things and then we'll, we'll move on. This is Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 through 3 and 5. And so he says, The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offering as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priest's due uh, from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep. <clears throat> what he's saying here is, of all the tribes, the Levites, they're not going to, they're, essentially, they're not going uh, to tithe. All the tribes are going to tithe, and what they tithe, the Lord is going to use that to care for them. Right? And he tells them why. He goes on here. He says, For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord and his sons for all the time. Right? So everybody else is tithing. God is using that to fuel the Levites so that they have provisions and so that they are able to minister. Transition into 1 Corinthians 9, verse 13 and 14. Paul writes, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Here's what he's saying. He's using Old Testament language and putting them in the New Testament. What he is saying is that the church, the the funds that are coming in are used to take care of those in the church, those who are serving, those who are on staff. And those who are on staff receive those offerings, receive those funds, and they tithe out of that. It goes back into the church, which is what we do, right? Now, with that being said, if you have more questions on that, I'll be glad to answer. Uh, But outside of all of that, let me introduce you to our newest staff member. His name is Nathaniel Summers. Go ahead and come on up, dude. His name is Nathaniel Summers. Give him a big round. (laughs) You can come up here, man. It's all right. It's not, it's not a lot of sweat, but um, so he, here's, here's what we want to say for, first off. Well, let me, let me tell you this much, right? So this is Nathaniel. He's our missions director, and he also helps assist me during the week and several of the other guys because he's, he's on staff, so he can help them out, right? Um, apart from that, here, here's what we want to say. We want to say thank you, right? Your faithful giving allowed us to bring on a part-timer right? And so through prayer and through a lot of discussion, when we looked at our mission, right, reach wide, drill deep, raise up, we knew, man, our eggs are going to go in the basket this year of reaching wide. That's developing those relationships that we have locally, domestically, and internationally, and cultivating more, raising more people up within them, educating our community groups. Some of them are already going that well, whatever. All of that means a lot of time and a lot of money. Your faithful giving allowed us to bring on Nathaniel, And so Nathaniel actually came with us about two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago. He's from a country called Indiana. And uh, and since then, uh, I'll I'll let him share this, but apparently uh, the valley is home. 
So you, you, you take it over. Go for it. Yeah. Um, man, yeah. A little over two years ago, uh, my wife, Nicole, and I, uh, we moved down here <clears throat> from Indiana. And we actually came because we were called to be missionaries on the border. Um, and we have, we're with a World Gospel Mission, which is a mission agency around the world. Uh, and they have a site in South McAllen where we have a Christian school and, you know, soccer program and everything. And we're both, you know, sports people, soccer. And so that's how we got recruited to come down here. So we came down, you know, to do missionary work. And that was our goal. And as we came down, we were looking for a place just to attend, you know, a church to be able to get filled up. We really didn't know what to expect um, and over the past two years, like God has done some amazing things in our ministry. Uh, he's done really amazing things in our lives individually. And, and a big part of that is, you know, through Sundays and especially through community groups uh, throughout the week, we formed relationships and friendships here. And, and so, you know, we came down to work, but because of this church, uh, the valley is now home for us, and we are so glad to be here. And we had to leave actually for a few months, uh, just this, you know, these past six months, uh, to r- be able to raise more funds. Since you know we're missionaries, so we have to raise a lot of our uh, finances. And man, it hurt. <laughs> we were back in Indiana, back with family, and you know that was good and it was great. But we missed the valley. We missed all you guys and being here. And <clears throat> I'm really excited about what God's got. For us going forward, uh, like like Pastor Marco said, uh, I'm the mission director, and I have a passion for missions. I mean, we're missionaries, so you know, obviously that's something that we care about. But missions is is so special to me, and I love outreach. I love evangelism. I love being able to share who Christ is. And, and the truth is that the reason the reason why it means so much to me is because everyone's looking for something, right? Like every single one of you come from a background where you were desiring something, you were looking for something. And if you go into the world, you see everyone is looking for something too. And they fill it, especially in our ministry, we see a lot of people fill it with maybe gangs or they fill it with uh, being in the cartel or they fill it with their family. You know, they spend time with their family and it's so important to them. Uh, whatever it may be, people are trying to fill that void because they're looking to be included. They're looking to be loved. They're looking to uh, feel like they belong somewhere. And, and the truth is that they can only fill that through Jesus. And, and that's the whole message of the gospel, is that Jesus is the only one that can fill that in. And so, really, what I'm going to be able to be doing here as the mission director is providing hope. And that's what we do for the rest of this city, the rest of this uh, country, wherever we end up going, whatever you know area we serve in through missions is we're going to be providing hope to people who have no hope and are looking for it in different places that, you know, they're just not going to get it. And so that's my, you know, that's my passion, that's my desire, and I'm really looking forward to being able to work out, you know, all of the kinks with missions and moving forward in the future with everyone. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> if you guys want, and we, and I would encourage you, if you want to hang out and take his wife out to lunch, you should. Uh, Nicole's sitting down, and... Uh, but yeah, hunt down, hunt down Nathaniel afterwards. I think, I think one of the things that I, I love so much was uh, maybe now, almost about two years ago, I brought Nathaniel with me, one of the other guys, to a conference. And uh, when we came back, he was like super stoked, you know, because you get that at conferences, you get that emotional high. And so we were sitting down at a coffee shop. And so at that coffee shop, I said, hey, I noticed that you always have one foot in, one foot out, and you say y'all instead of we. Why? And uh, he was like, man, I, I really don't know. And so I just kind of pushed on that. And I think God used that in him to, 
to really just jump into the life of the church. And so he, like, previous to mission, Nathaniel was taking care of things during the week. Nathaniel helped out with special events. Nathaniel uh, helped out with connections at one point. He's helped do a lot of things. He's been an excellent soundboard. And so I'm just very thankful and grateful for you. And thank y'all for your faithful regular, generous giving, because we were able to do this. And, and man, like me, part of me is like, oh, I want to bring all the guys on staff, but we're not, we're not there yet, right? We got we to gotta be really uh, careful about how we do that. But nevertheless, uh, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. <clears throat> all right, guys. So to, just to, to wrap it up, to wrap it up, this whole thing, when it came about giving, as I told you in the beginning, I wasn't here to guilt you but I am here to challenge you in your theology. And the truth is a lot of you need challenging, particularly in the context of giving, right? You need to be challenged. And before we even got to giving, the push was trust in the Lord and turn away from your own understanding. That if you desire to experience healing and refreshment to your bone, the marrow to your bone, turn away from your own understanding. And one of the practical things that you can do to begin with is by giving generously, not reluctantly, in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So let us be a church that redeems this whole uh, culture of giving that a lot of people don't necessarily like talking about or actually like sit up straight and don't want to address it. Let's redeem that because one of the marks of us as Christians and a family is that of generous givers. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, Lord, my prayer, uh, my prayer is, number one, wait, let me just start with this. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us everything that we have. Thank you for giving us the things that even we, we want. Lord, you are so incredibly gracious and faithful. And so I pray that not just through, through the moment of tithing in a bit or even communion, but I pray that we would praise you and worship you and glorify you in all that we do and are doing in our lives. Lord, everything points back to us. Let, us. let us be the people that repents of being owners because we desire to be stewards because that was the plan from the beginning. Let us be people who give sacrificially, generously, regularly, and joyfully because we see that you, the Father, did not hold the Son back to come and dwell among us and die for sinners. Let us be, let that be, let, us, let Jesus' self-sacrifice be the standard of our giving. Let, it, let Jesus' sacrifice be the standard for everything that we do and everything that points back to him. And so, Lord, as we go into a time of tithes and offerings, Lord, let this be a joyous time. Let this be a redeemed time. Let this be a time where we worship you and all that you've done and everything you are, that where we look back at all that you've accomplished, all that you've provided us for, and how far we have come forward, not just as a church, but even in the things that you're doing in our lives. Let us relinquish control. Let us place our trust in you. Let us turn away from evil and trust in you because of who you say we are and because of who you ultimately are. And afterwards, Lord, let's go into this time of communion where we give you our sin, where you do only what you can do, and that is pardon us of our sin. Oh, may we glorify you right now, Jesus. May we glorify you right now through our giving. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.